This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. I want to welcome you on this June 28th edition to Real Talk. It's Jesperson and Hicks. This is going to be a fast-moving show. Love it. Three guests lined up in just a second. Uh, the mayor of Leduc, Alberta, Bob Young, on an absolutely bonkers development at a city council meeting just a couple of days ago. You've probably, regardless of where you're tuning in from across the country or beyond, heard about this. A woman uh, stands up at the council meeting, a member of the public, to the microphone. Part of that process, right, where members of the public can have their voices heard in front of their elected officials. Well, she goes off the rails talking about the progress pride flag about what the colors stand for talking about bestiality and necrophilia and i mean just absolutely insane ramblings the mayor ends up shutting down the council meeting in an unprecedented move he's going to talk to us exactly why he did that and how he's processing what went down we're going to reconnect today with jeff nash remember nasher the founder of rinks around the league he's worked in the national hockey league for a long time and well he's got an opinion like thousands of other hockey fans do about the nhl shutting down themed jerseys the national hockey league per commissioner barry gary bettman says they will no longer be participating as a league in themed fundraising or awareness raising nights for pride cancer military you name it the nhl says we're out don't go into the corners, I guess, is the message from the National Hockey League commissioner. We'll find out what Nasher thinks about that. And then Alberta's Assistant Auditor General, Eric Leonti, is going to join us. We've been covering this story on Alberta's orphan wells for quite some time. Massive environmental and fiscal liabilities. And it's coming down to taxpayers, to citizens. If you live in Alberta, you're one of those getting burned by the lack of accountability in the oil and gas industry. Of course, thousands and thousands of these wells being orphaned, being left, being passed off to smaller companies that then go bankrupt. It's a grift. Everybody knows it. The Auditor General released a report back in March, and we're going to get into that with the Assistant AG. All of that coming up in just a second. But I also want to talk to you about housing prices real quick. You've, of course, been paying attention. You've seen that they're going up. You know, they're on the rise again, including right here in Alberta. And you know who's really riding that wave all the way to the bank? It's real estate agents. (laughs) Really, there's no better time to become a real estate agent in Alberta, and there's no better place to do it than Rello. Rello is an online real estate school that gives you so much more than a traditional course. They're going to help you pass your exams with confidence. Just check out their amazingly high pass rates on their website. But, But they'll also give you access to expert instructors, free webinars, and this is great, membership in a thriving community of real estate professionals who can help you get a head start on your real estate career. You can get the ball rolling today by signing up right now at rello.ca. That's R-E-L-O dot C-A. Real Talkers, I want you to know that uh, we, we've thought about this, whether or not we're going to play this video, and, and I do so with mixed feelings. On one hand, we're amplifying a message that, uh, quite frankly, is disgusting. It's deplorable. On the other hand, we're all adults here, right? And we need to know what we're talking about. If you didn't see what went down at the council meeting in Leduc, Alberta on Monday, I want you to be informed. So 
as best you can, try to keep your focus on, I don't know, the fact that we're going to take this conversation in a positive direction while we set the scene with this, an excerpt of a speech, a rant, you might call it, delivered by a woman who identified herself as Laurel in front of counselors and Leduc's mayor on Monday night. The thing is, we've come so far into think that being inclusive of everyone is a God-given right. Now, I'm going to show, I'm going to show you guys something here real quickly. The original pride flag, okay, had red, orange, yellow, green, blue, and purple. What they added to it was this, a black, blue, baby, oh, sorry, I'm going to say this again, a black, brown, light blue, light pink, and white. I'm going to tell you the secret hidden agenda of this because there's lots. Do you guys know what that means? Yeah, good question. Someone please answer that. Since you no, guys all we're, promoted we're, we're it. We're not allowed to in public commentary to have okay, a back and forth discussion. You can okay, no problem. Let, let me explain. Let me explain to everyone who doesn't know, including you guys. You may not know. Okay? The black stands for necrophilia. Do you guys know what that is? That's sex with the dead. That's right, Ryan. The brown stands for bestiality. Do you know what that is? Your That's worship. sex with animals. I call for a point of privilege. The blue uh, stands for pedophilia with baby boys. Okay, I've made the a pink motion. stands the for pedophilia with baby, with baby girls. The white song. stands for... So at this point, he cuts off her mic. So they cut off the mic. And, and then as the video goes on, you'll find that she starts to get applause. No, yeah, we're, we're going too far. Now... Johnny, when I first watched this... Excuse me. Excuse me. And then he calls a recess. We'll take so a recess right now. That was Leduc's Mayor Bob Young that you hear say going too far. It was Leduc Councilor Ryan Pollard that you, you heard there calling for a point of order at several times. That's, that's basically you know following the rules of how meetings go. He's, yeah. he's basically, that's like an objection. He's yeah. saying, hang on a second, hang on a second. You know, that, so at first I wanted to believe that the clapping was people clapping that the mic was cut. Me too, yeah. But I'm not so sure that that's the case. Now, Councillor Pollard posted right after this happened, and I'm going to read a portion of it. Public commentary is a feature of our meetings at Leduc City Council meant to give citizens an opportunity to bring concerns to their elected representatives in a public forum. It's something I believe strongly in. He goes on and says this first speaker, this is on Monday, quickly deviated wildly from the topic that originally he indicated. There was a gentleman by the name of Bill McDavid, identified himself as one of the Freedom Convoy, and, and then this gal Laurel was with them. Uh, said uh, he, he's the less about the content, the better, but we were treated in part to a brief lesson on chemtrails, ultimately a disgusting profanity-laced tirade in relation to the city's pride initiatives uh, i should also note that the rcmp and leduc right now are investigating vandalism of a pride crosswalk we're grateful that the mayor of leduc um his worship bob young has agreed to join us this morning on the show mayor thanks for making time for us i know this isn't the type of stuff that you want leduc <laughs> recognized for because there's a lot of great stuff happening in leduc but how are you wrapping your mind around monday night uh you know ryan it's extremely sad that uh, we had to come to that uh that point um you know <clears throat> I understand that, that people don't support pride. I get that. But for some reason, uh, they, they think that uh, we're infringing on their rights by having a, a, a pride flag flying, 
by doing a uh, crosswalk, by wrapping a bus that says a seat for everyone. Uh, it's sad to me that we have people that uh, just hate, uh, you know, everyone. Mayor, you, you, you ended up shutting that meeting down. You've been in politics for quite some time. Has that ever happened before? You ever seen anything like this before? You know, Ryan, I, I've been uh, in municipal politics now for over 18 years. I have never, ever experienced anything like that. It's, uh, it, it was a very sad day in the history of uh, Leduc Council meetings. So what do you think is, I mean, it, 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 we're talking to civic leaders, we're talking to community leaders in, in, in many different communities. We're seeing this happen. I mean, I'm going to play video after I talk to you from the, the Los Angeles school board president. They're seeing protests outside their schools down in California. The story's not limited to Alberta, but, but there seems to be an uptick in this type of protest. Are you seeing the same thing? And if so, what do you think is driving that? You know, Ryan, I have no idea. Like, I, like I, I think, you know, coming out of COVID that uh, there's a lot of anger that uh, was uh, created during COVID. And, and I think that's, we're seeing that now. I think politics in the States, I think, uh, you know, what we've seen in the States, uh, you know, there's so much uh, hate talk. Um, you know, it's now on social media, it's okay to go and just trash people. And, uh, you know, so it's, it's a sad time in our, in our society. And, uh, you know, I, I hope that uh, that you know by airing things like this and showing things like this, that maybe we'll start to get the people, the silent majority, that actually don't support uh, hate speech like this, that uh, they will speak up and and start to take a stand. So, Mayor, when you when you shut down that meeting, uh, my understanding is that you left uh, council chambers along with at least one other councillor. What what yeah. was that experience like? What did you hear uh, once you left and the door closed behind you? But I, I, I suspect that it didn't I, I, wrap up quietly. I give her no, absolutely not. It, so what happened is um, I, I called for a recess. I left, um, you know, because, again, I didn't want to say a- anything or do anything that uh, would just uh, inflame the situation. So uh, I called the recess. That stopped the recording. Um, I left the, uh, the chambers for probably about five minutes. Um, you know, I, I could not believe uh, all the yelling and screaming uh, that was going on. I give our city manager uh, great credit. Um, what he did is um, he uh, helped uh, try and get some of the people out of the uh, out of the chamber. Um, what happened is I came back into the council chambers and uh, I asked council to make a motion to go into closed session. Um, we passed it immediately. As soon as we went into closed session, uh, that meant that everybody had to leave the chambers. And again, I give uh, our city manager a lot of credit. Um, he basically helped people um, get out of the chambers. Um, it probably took about 10, 15 minutes. And, uh, you know, and again, lots of yelling um, uh, threats. Like, I've, I, I've never seen that at a council meeting. Yeah, you know, I, I wanted they, to ask you about that, Mayor. My understanding is that members of the council, perhaps including you, have faced threats. Are we talking written threats, verbal threats? Can you tell us about these? These are verbal threats. You know, it's it's sad, like, you know, when I first got on council, I loved public commentary because it gave people a chance to come in uh, and meet and talk to us about things that, you know, we weren't necessarily aware of. Um, what's happened, though, is over the last year, because we probably have the least amount of rules for public commentary of any council in Alberta. And uh, so basically, we don't restrict anything. And what's happened is our, our public commentary has evolved into um, just this ugly duration of council and staff. Our city manager actually removes our staff uh, from the chamber uh, 
to protect them. It, you know, it, it's, uh, it's, it's unfortunate. Like I said, you know, I would love to. And, you know, my door is always open. I, I will talk with anybody. But uh, when, uh, you know, people start coming in, and berating council uh, and and staff, uh, you know, it's gone too far. So, is this going to change the way that that you politic? I mean, is is this going to change the way that that, that things work in Leduc? Uh, I hope not. You know, like uh, I like I, I truly believe that uh, you know that we're we're going to move past this. And uh, you know, and again, I I think um, events like this on your show where we're making this kind of um, public displays. Uh, uh, known to everybody i think that you that we will see uh you know the like i i truly do believe that the majority of people are disgusted when they see things like this and you know uh, i really appreciate seeing the oilers and Connor mcdavid the other night where he he says the edmonton oilers are still uh it's a game for everybody and you know the city of the duke i'm on our buses it's a seat for everyone and uh you know I hope that that's a message that comes out of this. Uh, Mayor, when you see stuff like that go down, uh, well, when you witness it at the council meeting Monday night, when, you, when you're obviously aware that RCMP are investigating vandalism of that pride cross, what does that do to your resolve uh, to observe pride in the city of Leduc? You know what? Like, th- it just proves to me that we have to do more. You know, like it's for the life of me, I don't understand how people are so threatened by having a rainbow flag or a rainbow crosswalk or a bus uh, that has been wrapped with a, a great message. I guess, uh, I don't know why that threatens people. Like it's, you know, when my grandkids take a look at the pride flag, they, they say, oh, look at the, all the pretty colors. Like, you know, it's, we're not promoting anything. All we're promoting is that everybody should be treated without discrimination and, and we should be in an inclusive society. Well said, Mayor. Uh, really appreciate your availability. I know you shuffled a few things around this morning to talk to us, and, and uh, we're grateful for it. That's Leduc Mayor Bob Young. Thanks, Ryan. Always make time for you. You got it, buddy. I sure appreciate that. That is one of the good guys Great guy. uh, in politics. In just a second, uh, we're going to welcome in Jeff Nash, a founder of Rinks Around the League. He's got a great take on the hockey angle on this. And we're also going to play you a video, a portion of uh, really a, a powerful moment from the president of the Los Angeles School Board, Jackie Goldberg, who pushed back on protests outside of uh, elementary schools in the state of California. That's coming up in just a second. Uh, here on Real Talk, these conversations happen because we have sponsors like Kubi Energy that believe in the value of Real Talk. It was great to see them out supporting our Real Talk Golf Classic last Thursday. Boy, are we ever grateful for that. Now, there's good news, more good news for those of you that call Edmonton or the Edmonton region home. The city of Edmonton in particular is helping its residents install solar power systems on their homes to produce renewable energy by offering 40 cents per watt toward the cost of the system. So that covers like 15% of the price tag on going solar. Uh, Rebate stacking, they call it, that's also allowed within Canada's Greener Homes Grant program. I've been telling you about that one. That's that $40,000 interest-free loan that's available. Up to a max of 100% of the total investment made by the homeowner. Here's the deal. If you're like me and numbers make your head spin, if I was you, I would just get in touch with the Kubi team and they can lay out for you how all this works. They can even make the grant application for you to save you the time and the headache. You can find them online at kubienergy.ca or give them a call at 780-340-5829. Big shout out to our friends at Kubi Renewable Energy. Apex Automation wants the professional engineers that are listening to this show. And and by the way, that includes those of you, congratulations, that are wrapping up your studies at engineering schools uh, in particular. 
at UBC, U of A, University of Calgary. Kubi is growing rapidly, expanding their team. Uh, the newest field office just opened in Houston, Texas. They're in Saskatchewan, Alberta, BC, across the country. And they're looking for talented team members to join them as they continue to lead the way with automation across the country. If a career working with autonomous vehicles and machinery, advanced process controls, robotics appeals to you, you're going to want to check out apexautomation.ca today. This is a company that puts its people ahead of its profits and it shows in how they run their business. That's Apex Automation, a proud sponsor of Real Talk. We also wanted to give a big heads up for those of you that are going to be celebrating Canada Day over the weekend. You want to bring something, whether you're hosting the party or you're going to somebody else's, something that'll stop the show, something that will wow everybody in attendance. We found it for you, and we found them at the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton in Sherwood Park. Look no further. It is the classic DQ Canada Day cake. Look at this thing. This is absolutely fantastic. The DQ Canada Day Cake lets you kick up your July 1st festivities up a notch with a Canada Cake complete with customizable designs, red and white. Check this out on my screen. This is absolute. I'm, I'm, my mouth is watering just looking at it. Uh, this is the tastiest way to celebrate Canada. The classic DQ dessert adds way more fun to an already awesome day and you can find them order them custom or pick one up off the shelf at the Dairy Queens in Palisades Nemeo Newcastle Westmount or Baseline Road Jeff Nash coming up in just a second we call him Nasher when we're talking hockey but first I wanted to jump down to California for a second stories like this are not limited to Canada they're certainly not limited to the province of Alberta California has seen significant protests loud protests over books and initiatives including pride at elementary and junior high schools and well it certainly caught the attention of the president of the los angeles school board jackie goldberg who from her elevated position literally and metaphorically had strong words for the state of california here she is now a lot of people out there i talk to outside satakite said oh i have a gay cousin i have a gay nephew i can't be homophobic bs B.S. You can be homophobic and have a gay friend, a gay neighbor, a gay son, a gay anything. Talk to all the gay kids that get thrown out of their houses and onto the streets by parents who say, I won't have you in my house any longer. And tell me that having a gay relative means that you're not homophobic. But here's what really scares me. When you have two or three days of this kind of chaos, of people screaming at the top of their lungs outside a school that read a book with one sentence in it that said, yeah, guess what? Families can include two moms and two dads. By the way, at the little discussion at the school after that, as soon as the book was over, one of the little girls sitting at my knees said, I have two mommies. But a little boy on my other side said, I have five grandmas. The idea that there are different kinds of families the people screaming out at the streets, they didn't get a chance to find out about that because they made a decision based on hearsay. They made a decision based on agitators, not from their community, but from outside their community who saw an opportunity to take advantage of the real fears of people. I want to be very, very, very clear. Nobody has to accept me. I'm not looking for your acceptance but you better treat me the same way you treat everybody else. That's how we live in this country. Powerful stuff from the president of the L.A. School Board, Jackie Goldberg. 
Jeff Nash joins us in studio. He's the founder of Rinks Around the League. He's worked in the National Hockey League for a long time, and he's been a, a really great friend of this show. And uh, I want to welcome you here. Thank you for joining us here. What do you, you've got just a, a big, I don't even know how to describe the look on your face, but you've heard Mayor Young. You just heard President Goldberg there. How are you wrapping your mind around this stuff? I mean, I'm, I'm glad to hear people articulate that so well. Like, it's, uh, <laughs> do I need to say anything more? These, these, these people articulated their their point and made their point so so well um yeah it's it's awesome to hear people speak so passionately about that uh, you've you've built quite a following on uh, your, your instagram and your youtube channel and, and you celebrate like the, the the beauty of the game of the frozen game and people's backyard rinks and odrs we call them the outdoor rinks and things like that you're a passionate hockey fan uh, mm-hmm. you and i last spoke uh right mm-hmm. around the hockey canada scandal when it was first breaking and, and you and i were were discussing just as as hockey dads how we felt about it and, and how we felt about our kids playing hockey and and i know that you've always been able to and actually quite eager to 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 think about and to talk about the health of the game outside of the x's and o's Mm -hmm. outside of the offside rule or the two-line pass (laughs) rule you care more about the culture of the game and you released a post just a few days ago after national hockey league commissioner gary bettman said they're not gonna be doing themed jerseys anymore yeah i mean my my perspective on the sport is is to kind of grow it i have kids that uh, you know, my youngest uh, son plays hockey now, and my my role as a dad and someone who's worked in the game and lived hockey my whole life, it's about you know making the game accessible to everyone, whether it's uh, culturally or or financially, or as much as I can help in that area. My whole kind of point with all this is is to try to make it comfortable for everyone because uh i love the sport we all do like uh, we all have roots in the game in terms of the sport or production and uh it, there's no real place to alienate anyone like it's 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 supposed to be a sport it's supposed to be fun it's competitive but not uh not shutting everybody out or, or alienating everybody for sure yeah i mean if you want to talk about competitive and if you want canada to remain competitive or or, or any jurisdiction remain competitive one of the obvious starting points is to get more people involved in the sport have a bigger and deeper talent pool uh, what do you make of this announcement <clears throat> from the nhl i've seen some different opinions some mm-hmm. some people say that th- this is a coward you know, this is cowardice on display from the NHL. They had some prominent players led by Ivan Provorov, the Flyers. He's kind of the first one to go public, saying he wasn't comfortable based on his religious beliefs, Russian Orthodox beliefs, uh, wasn't comfortable wearing the pride jersey. The Stahl brothers, James Reimer and others uh, followed. Uh, I've seen other people saying the NHL should be about sport. Mm-hmm. They're, they're putting their athletes in a tough spot anyway. Uh, you shouldn't introduce politics, some people have said. I don't think pride is political, but I guess maybe sometimes it is. Uh, where do you land on this? Yeah, so uh, the people who chose not to wear it, they have their, their reasons or what they describe as the, as the reasons. And, you know, with the, not only with Pride Night, but Military Night, can- Hockey Fights, Cancer Night, all that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, when, when Connor McDavid wears a Military Night, it, it doesn't mean he's a soldier. You know, he's he's representing and, and making that connection with the military community. You know, if Darnell Nurse wears, a, you know, Hockey Fights, Cancer, it doesn't mean he has cancer. It's, it's a tie-in with the community. Same thing with Pride. You know, when, when the Oilers wear uh, the Pride jersey, it's connecting with that fan base. It's connecting with that uh, that group of people, and it's you know people who are in the community. It's a, it's a huge uh, emotional tie-in with the team. It's a huge tie-in to uh, connecting with the fan base. Um, and the decision by Bettman, I mean, let's face it, like a couple of people 
overall in the whole entire National Hockey League, a couple of people had issues with it. And the NHL's uh, reaction to it was like, no, we'll pull the plug on everything, which, you know, has repercussions on, on many levels uh, financially. You know, the NHL teams sell these jerseys. It's an easy sell with, uh, you know, Connor signs his military jersey and auctions it off. You know, I, I guess five, ten grand easily. I would right? say easily ten. Yeah. Um, and when you sell a whole team of jerseys like that, it's it's kind of a major fundraiser. So it has a lot of repercussions not only with representation but also a lot of other things down the line yeah I, Johnny and I were talking about this and I, I did share it on the show at our Real Talk Golf Classic on Thursday uh, here's the thing a few Real Talk sponsors came together on this they didn't know that they were going to come together on this but but Kelly Tackaberry who's one of the owners of Complete Care Restoration they built this studio here right he nice. donates us an autographed Ryan Nugent Hopkins Hockey Fights Cancer sweater right the, you know the purple and yep. pink one You know, of yep. course you know yep. and uh, and anyway, so they set it up for a, a prize. I think it was for a putting contest, right? So then Mark Cardinal of the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton, so he wins it. And Cards gets up there to accept this jersey. It's beautiful. It has the hologram sticker verifying its authenticity and all that kind of stuff. Real collector's item. Mm -hmm. Don't have to tell you. It's the first season. Nuge hit 100 points. Yep. There's a lot of reasons why this is a special sweater. Yep. And the value going up, unfortunately, because the league says they're not going to do these anymore. So now these are limited edition jerseys. Yeah. And so Cards comes up there and he says, you know what I'd like to do? He goes, I, he goes, I got a lot of jerseys. I'd like to donate this back. He says to me, would you do a live auction on the fly? So I did. And it goes back and forth between several collectors. And it winds up in the, in the lap of California Closets president Cameron Johnson, who, who paid $3,500. Wow. Uh, didn't know two minutes ahead of time he was going to do it. $3,500 for that sweater. That's one example yeah. of thousands we could give you on the value of this. Now, this is not just, to state the obvious, but I want to remind people, this is not just the National Hockey League saying we're not doing pride anymore, mm -hmm. right? To, to reiterate what the point you've made, they're not going to do military appreciation. Anymore. Now, now, maybe the Oilers will. The Flames might. The Canucks might. The mm -hmm. Washington Capitals might. But the National Hockey League collectively will not be participating in initiatives like cancer awareness. They will not be supporting breast cancer. You think of the NFL or the NBA, you think they would ever make a move like Batman did? I mean, and that I made a point uh, uh, the other day that the NHL is is kind of hurting in some ways. Like their their viewership is down. Like I read an article that uh, the uh, playoffs had a twenty two percent decline in viewership and stuff. Um, the NHL has a real is wrestling with like their image, right? They had a lot of the uh, controversies with the Blackhawks come out. Um, uh, this decision kind of. Seemingly on a whim, I don't know um, who was all involved in making that decision, but you know the NHL has has some work to do with uh, their image, um, especially with you know com competing on the American market. You know you've got NFL, NBA, MLB. I would argue college sports like an NHL. Like NHL, we love NHL. It's huge in Canada, but they're really trying to tap into that. Um, American market, you know, and they're, you know, the wrestling with the, the Coyotes playing in a 5,000 seat arena because they can't get a deal done in, in Arizona. So there, there's a lot of many, many layers that the NHL is fighting right now to appeal to fan bases. And when Bettman made this decision, I, I looked at him like, why on earth would they do that? Like when I read the tweet, I was like, what are they doing? Like, why would they alienate or, you know, piss off uh, pride people because let's face it we're, we're talking about pride night here or it's pride what it's jersey. about no, yeah. no we're not talking about military about, night we're no not talking about cancer, about cancer. It, it's about the pride jersey and um you know when they made that decision i'm like what are they doing like the one of the few things the nhl is really progressive you know on the last episode of the show that i was on i was talking about 
uh, how the NHL is very reactionary when it comes to hockey's for everyone, um, you know, Black History, like all those kinds kinds of things. And uh, the the warm up jerseys is actually one of the progressive things that they've done in a little while. Like it's not only Pride jersey, but they have you know Chinese Lunar New Year. They have uh, Aboriginal themed jerseys. Yeah, and it's it's massively important to those like I've, I've heard that rhetoric from a, a bunch of people like you know just leave it out of sports leave it out of sports and I can understand that but uh, I think people underestimate the power that sports has to draw attention and, and make those ties to those communities and if you're a member of those communities if you're an aboriginal person you look at the Oilers Turtle Island jersey 100% like they're like wow the Oilers like they're they represent me and you know they're still going to sell the jerseys in the in the store which is uh you know, is, let's say hockey fights cancer. If you lost a loved one with ca- cancer, you're probably still going to buy that jersey, put your loved one on the back, and and wear it with pride. Um, but you know, it's it's yeah, it's it, it's a direct link to that community, and when people see that, it it makes an impact. Like visual representation matters, and uh, just talk to anyone in those communities. Like the Chinese community in Vancouver, I just saw the Canucks uh, uh, Lunar New Year uh, jersey go up. You know, the China the Chinese community in Vancouver are probably like that. That's a, that's a beautiful jersey, and like that, the Canucks have me. Like they're, they're they represent me, so that it's hugely important. Well, and there could be like a, a, a young Chinese Canadian boy or girl that that all of a sudden can picture themselves playing hockey at a high level. Right? I mean, you see, like, I mean, I don't have to give examples of representation, but yeah. but there are multiple storylines with a player like Zach Whitecloud, for example, on, on on the Las Vegas Golden Knights to hoist the Stanley Cup. You see an Indigenous player hoisting the cup. That's an inspiration for a lot of people. We, we talked about Nazem Kadri hoisting the cup yep. with the Colorado Avalanche. What did people talk about? They talked about the I mean, despite the fact that he's a remarkable two-way player and a mm-hmm. real pest and the guy you hate until he's on your team and you love him, <laughs> there's a lot to talk about with yeah. Kadri. But the first Muslim player to ever hoist the Stanley Cup, that that can inspire millions of kids Absolutely. around the world. I just find, even for a, for a sport like hockey, where we celebrate you know, a guy that gets 70 stitches to the face and comes back in the same game, right? Charles Barkley, one of my favorite commentators of all time, he, he goes, an NBA player would retire if he got <laughs> cut like that. The hockey players, hockey is known for being courageous and gutsy. And yep. to me, it just feels like the league folded like a cheap tent when players that we could count on one hand protested something. Let's be like, how many players in the league, Jeff, about 800 players, yeah. something like that? Yep. There's yeah. a lot of players. Five or six of them didn't like it. All of a sudden, the league says we're not going to do it anymore. Yeah, yeah, and it's you know again that that argument of of keep keep stuff out of sports. It's just I, when I go to a game, I just want to watch the game. I don't want to think about anything else. But again, uh, the vehicle of of the power of sports helping and spreading the message. I mean, that what happened at the Duke meeting. Like that's the whole purpose of having the pride jersey is to help educate and draw attention to that. And like I said, off uh, kind of off the top is. I think there's people who are against it have this uh, idea that, uh, you know, wearing something like that uh, is is inappropriate or changes somebody. But it's not that um, they 100 percent maybe morally or personally support that, but it's it's they wear it to show that specific demographic like, hey, you're welcome here. You're you're welcome to play here. Um, So, yeah, it's. Uh, and you know, I saw another argument of someone saying, "Well, they only wear it for 15 minutes anyway. So what's why? Why is it a big deal?" And I count counter that point with like, "Exactly. So it's only for 15 minutes. Yeah, they wear it for warmups. It, the building is a quarter full, and they wear it. But like, if you have the argument of like, 
well, who cares? Like, exactly. Like, it, it's, it's, it's a really easy way to tap into that market uh, or that demographic. And it's a really good symbol of what the Oilers or NHL teams um, stands for. Mm. You know, when Connor McDavid puts on that uh, warm-up jersey, you know, he's not... Um, you know, he's not a soldier. He's not whatever. He's he's an oiler, and whatever else is around that Oilers logo is. And people um, may not remember that. Uh, you know, the the lavender jerseys and the camo jerseys are, are fairly new to Oilers. Like they, when I started in 2013, they didn't wear them during warmup. So it's mm. it's a relatively new thing, and it's a relatively easy thing for them to pull off. Um, you know, to to pull off to to you know, show their position on uh, proactive things. And, and it's so rare in the way, hockey. Man, it goes such a long way. Absolutely. You know, and I, and I think that, like, you, you just made this point with McDavid, and, and, and you could say that about really any professional athlete or, 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 or celebrity for that matter. The idea of strength in numbers, right, or strength in prominence um, is, you know, someone may, you know, these people uh, outside schools protesting outside schools and yelling and screaming and actually making kids kind of nervous over something like a storybook that says, like, a family can have two mommies or two daddies, which newsflash, that's true, yeah. uh, you know, and, and, and a lot of these people probably aren't up to speed on the facts. I mean, it's almost, I'm, I'm almost, well, I'm quite embarrassed for this lady, Laurel, at the Leduc Council meeting just for the, her level of misunderstanding on on what things stand for. And, and I'm not sure where she's getting her information. I, I have my suspicions and we know that people are down rabbit holes and, and we know that conspiracy theories and misinformation are a problem more now than ever before. We talk about it a lot on the show. It's one thing to have that sort of bully mentality where you come in loud in front of schools and make a lot of noise with your barrel chest puffed out. And, and it's another thing to intimidate people and to, to, you know, sp you know, squeal your tires through the pride crosswalk and mess it up. But, when all of a sudden, you know, somebody like the, you know, the greatest hockey player in the world, mm -hmm. you know, the $20 million man, including endorsements, Connor McDavid <laughs> is wearing that jersey or, is, is, yep. is, or is, is supporting a cause. All of a sudden, these loud voices get a little more quiet. Mm -hmm. they, get, they get a little less courageous in their convictions. It goes a long way uh, to support people that have historically been marginalized mm -hmm. and have been bullied and have been abused and disrespected. And, and, and that's one of the reasons why I just really think that the National Hockey League has taken an embarrassing position on this one. And, and it's, it's, it's such a, uh, in my opinion, it's such a slam dunk thing. Like it's so easy to for for players of the teams and the organizations to wear that. You know, the the organization and the staff and in, within those organizations celebrate pride with their own activities. I mean, the players should be no different. I mean, I guess the argument could be said that uh, you know it's going against their individual uh, 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 perspective or or moral or religious reasons or whatever. But uh, you know, my my son plays hockey and he looks at. Uh, you know, the, like you said, the greatest player in the world, whether it's Connor or Sydney or whatever. And, you know, they're like, okay, they, they've, they've kind of normalized, you know, seeing that stuff. And it's important, you know, if, if my son, you know, grows up and, and, you know, is a member of the, of the pride community when he grows up or whatever, um, he at least grew up knowing that, you know, the greatest player in the world supports me. And, mm -hmm. you know, some of the, greatest speeches regarding that topic come from guys who um, are kind of like the, those tough guys like Keith Kachuk like he like uh, this season when that uh, controversy came up uh, with the players not wearing it um, you know he made a really really good speech that you're welcome in my locker room and that's that's so important like people some people will downplay that but it's so important and you know I'm just sitting here as a as a hockey guy I'm not you know um, I support all kind of initiatives whether it's pride or 
uh, Lunar New Year or whatever. Like it's, I'm, I hope I'm <laughs> representing the pride, uh, pride uh, community well by kind of lending my voice to, to say that, you know, the, the NHL had a really easy decision and for whatever reason, they just, they, like you said, they just folded and, uh, uh, again, I just kind of roll my eyes at the, the one one of the few things that the NHL is really progressive in. They chose to take the regressive action yeah. and be like, nope, you know what? We had a couple players and we had whatever GMs come to us and say, oh, you know, we're not going to do it. It's too much of a distraction, which, by the way, like they had to answer questions for maybe what a day or two. Like it, it, the story breathed for a little while, but then it, you know. All of a sudden, Bettman came out and said, we're not doing it anymore. But like, oh, really? Like, that's I didn't even know that was on the radar that they were going to cancel all of it. Like, uh, you know, it did have oxygen for a little while. But, you know, coaches and players, they answer tough questions all the time. And, um, you know, it's it's just part of their job, too. Right. So I, I, th- I think it's embarrassing. And, and I love the hockey metaphor of turtling. The NHL turtled <laughs> on this one. You mentioned Matthew Kachuk. He knows the thing it all about, together. Tur- about turtling. I, I think the worst part here is, too, we know this is about pride. Like we're talking about exactly. all these other jerseys, South Asian, the Turtle Island. We're talking about cancer, the military. No one has a problem with those. So no. we know this is directly linked to homophobia. If someone said they weren't going to wear a South Asian jersey or work to celebrate indigenous culture on one of those nights there would be uproar so this is targeting one specific group of people it's yeah. it's just horrible and yeah. i had i had a really brief like live video that i that i published and the it's the, the proof is in the pudding when we talk about drawing attention to these things there's some group chat uh comments on in my comment section of um, some pretty uh naive viewers that, that you know they they were like, well, you know, pride is a religion and we shouldn't be honoring religious things at hockey games. And I'm like, dude, like you, you need some education because it's not a religion. But that's exactly why we need these things, because for whatever reason, people really have a, a, a bone to pick about Pride Night and they have these notions in their head. And you, you've got to use these opportunities to really tell them, like, look, whatever you're thinking right now. Let me help you educate you because it's it's not what you're thinking, what it is. Society is moving, whether people like it or not. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you talk to a seven or eight or a nine year old right now. And uh, typically they have a more fulsome understanding of, of how the world works than a lot of people that are sort of stuck uh, at a certain point of time and doing mm-hmm. their best to resist uh, movement toward equality and equitable representation. So um, you can let us know what you think about this. Talk at RyanJesperson.com. If you think Nasher and Johnny and I are way off on this, you let us know. Uh, if you think we've hit the nail on the head, if this is something that resonates with you personally, uh, we would love to hear from you. And of course, we'll integrate uh, emails and, and tweets, uh, even comments on our YouTube episodes from viewers in shows to come. Uh, check out my screen here. If you're watching us on YouTube, you can subscribe to uh, Jeff's channel, Rinks Around the League. Uh, find out what he's all about and check out, I mean, some of the stuff he does is just so cool. Check out the Ghostbusters. Many, my kids are in that one. We did a glow in a dark ice themed rink uh, with the Ghostbusters. We had the Alberta Ghostbusters come out and we shot a little video. It's uh, Check that out. It's It was a fun one to put together. So cool. That's Jeff Nash, founder of Rinks Around the League. Thanks, man. Appreciate Thanks, you showing Thanks, up for this. In just a second, we're going to talk to Alberta's Assistant Auditor General about Orphan Wells. This is follow-up to a story that we've been on for, well, at least a couple of years now. And of course, a lot of advocates, I don't have to tell you, uh, have been calling out Alberta's energy regulator on this. Albertans are wondering who's going to pay for all of these uh, farmer 
rigs, essentially, these wells that have been drilled. They're just left all over the place, untended, leaking methane. I mean, it's a real issue. That in just a second. But first, why don't we remind ourselves what we're talking about protecting here? Nature. Johnny, I'm going to actually take us out to Jasper right now. You know, every single Wednesday, right? This is a tradition here on the show. If we can't be out in Jasper in person, we want to take you there mentally and remind you about what's coming up out there. This is a great reason, if you haven't made plans already for the Canada Day long weekend, to head out to Jasper National Park. Presented by Tourism Jasper, this is our weekly tradition called My Jasper Memories. And this week, we're focusing on one of Jasper's most prominent landmarks, Mount Edith Cavell. If you've been out there, you know this beautiful peak. It defines a big part of that beautiful view. And and there's a bit of news this week. The winding 14-kilometer-long road that ascends from Highway 93A, the Icefields Parkway, to the base of Mount Edith Cavell is now open for the season. Uh, It closes through the winter months, and it's open again. Mount Edith Cavell is easily one of Jasper's most famous mountains uh, with its signature diagonal rock patterns, its renowned alpine wildflower trails, and fascinating history. It's easy to see why. Uh, You can get to the parking lot easily, and from there you can walk a short paved pathway that leads to jaw-dropping views of the Angel Glacier, the mint green lake below it, stunningly beautiful, and the iconic sparkling peak above. If you're feeling extra adventurous, hikers can opt for a longer non-paved pathway up into an alpine meadow with beautiful panoramic views. Uh, Want to let you know that dogs are not permitted on the upper part of the trail. Uh, you know, there is wildlife up there, right? You can elevate your experience as well by going with one of Jasper's great local guides. I highly recommend it. The high altitude exposed meadow that characterizes these upper trails at Mount Edith Cavell are some of the best spots in the national park to see alpine wildflowers. And we're getting right into that season where they are just exploding on the landscape. Absolutely spectacular, but they are fleeting. Now, the absolute best time in the season to see them range from mid-July to mid-August, but of course that depends on the year. You know who Edith Cavell was? Uh, She was a heroic nurse who saved hundreds of lives during the First World War. And the mount named in her honor is the highest mountain visible from the Jasper town site. It rises to almost 3,400 meters elevation, and it's easily the most prominent peak located entirely within Alberta. You know, Mount Robson kind of bumps over there, right? It's also one of the best places to see leftover glacial features like the moraines and glacial erratics. There's a lot of reasons to check out Mount Edith Cavell. Again, that road, that 14-kilometer road, up to the pathway is now open off highway 93a you can go to jasper.travel if you want to learn more and of course if you do take if you get some amazing photos or video of those alpine wildflowers we'd love to see them when you post them on instagram or on twitter use the hashtags my jasper and real talk rj and you could see your work your masterpiece featured on a future episode of my jasper memories presented on real talk by tourism jasper Let's get down to business. Uh, Alberta's Auditor General uh, releasing a report a short time ago, uh, back in March, entitled Liability Management of Non-Oil Sands Oil and Gas Infrastructure. This was essentially an audit of the systems that the AER, that's the Alberta Energy Regulator, refers to as its so-called liability management system. We're talking about accountability here. 
And you've heard a lot about orphan wells and the billions of dollars of liabilities that exist right now. These are wells that have essentially been abandoned, leaving landowners and Albertans in the lurch. We want to get into this, find out what the report says and ultimately what it means. Are we moving in the right direction? I know a lot of you have a very simple and pointed question that you ask us. Can we trust Alberta's energy regulator? Eric Leonti is the Assistant Auditor General of Alberta. He's been kind enough to join us this morning on the show. It's nice to see you, and thanks for making time for us, Eric. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, Eric, I'm hoping we, we can get into the report and some of the findings, but, but maybe you can also help us understand the role that the Auditor General's office plays in this. How does something like this get flagged? What prompts the investigation? And, and then how is it carried out? Um, yeah, so maybe just background of, of our office. I mean, we are an independent, nonpartisan office. Um, uh, objectivity, uh, credibility, being a trusted source of uh, credible information, um, that's central to, to our office and we instill that in, in all our staff and uh, comes through through our work. Um, we're the legislated auditor for uh, every provincial ministry and department, uh, as well as uh, most uh, um, provincial uh, agencies, boards and commissions, uh, including the Alberta Energy Regulator. And uh, overall, we have two types of audits that we do. We have the annual financial statement audit work that we do for uh, for the government of Alberta and all the various agencies, boards and commissions. And, and then we also have um, an important line of work uh, called performance auditing, where we look at uh, programs, processes, systems that uh, deliver essential you know, services and uh, regulatory systems um, and to see whether those are operating effectively and achieving achieving outcomes. And, and that's where this work uh, that, that we'll be talking about uh, around liability management for uh, non-oil sands uh, oil and gas uh, sites comes into to play. And um, the performance audit work that we do, um, you know, it's selected uh, based on, on risk. Um, you know, we uh, obviously have a, a connection with the various uh, departments and the agencies, boards and commissions through our work. And, um, you know, through that, we, you know, identify potential areas for audit. We receive um, a, a lot of sometimes concerns and questions from the public. We take that into to account and, you know, just generally environmental scan of the things that are going on um, within the province. Um, we ultimately report and serve the legislative assembly. So that's uh, the entire assembly. And by extension, we, we see that as serving all Albertans and, and, and the general public. And, you know, we hope that uh, they engage with our work. Um, and uh, our goal is to have our work acted upon. So, uh, you know, MLA stakeholders and the public engaging with our work um, are a big part of that as well, that uh, whatever recommendations we make for improvement, that those are those are acted upon. How, what role does public pressure play in triggering an investigation from the Auditor General? Well, uh, as I mentioned, we certainly take into account uh, when we receive, um, you know, like I said, we receive concerns or, or questions or comments, uh, insights into various government program uh, services and, and, and processes. And, um, you know, certainly this is an area that we did receive, uh, have received a lot historically and take that into to account when deciding uh, uh, what we're going to do and, and when. Um, there's other factors we take into account as far as timing, because there can be substantial changes uh, taking place um, that actually did happen in this circumstance and and that helps inform when when's the best time for us to do the work what do you mean by that so for instance if there's um, you know a, a significant new programs or processes or those are going to undergo change we want our audits to add the maximum value so we don't want to audit an area that's going to be irrelevant or or, or not a, a, you know as important in the future or, or uh, something that's going to change 
Um, but we also want to time it where uh, we have the opportunity to recommend improvements when there's uh, that opportunity to make those changes and we'll help things going forward. So, so, so that does a play a role into it. How relevant uh, is the orphan well situation in Alberta right now? Uh, it, extremely relevant. Um, I mean, it's a longstanding uh, issue. Um, you know, I think since 2010, it's a you know, 5% growth rate in inactive sites. Um, and it poses uh, potentially a number of risks, uh, financial risks, uh, public safety, health risks, environmental and reputational. And uh, I think those are, you know, for those who are following along, you know, understood that those exist, but whether and to what degree they manifest themselves, um, you know, depends on good, good uh, processes by the regulator and industry fulfilling their responsibilities. So, um, yeah, it's and I think it's an issue that's just grown in, in importance and, and risk and, um, you know, obviously a key factor in why we chose to to do a, a fairly broad, uh, in-depth audit in this area. Okay, so uh, I, we're going to punch. People can check out the the official website for the Auditor General of Alberta. It'll be in the show notes for the podcast uh, and on YouTube. And for our live tuning audience, we'll punch it into the chat. But the Auditor General uh, in this report released in March makes nine recommendations to the Alberta Energy Regulator to, to improve processes and 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 they get into it we don't want to get into the weeds too much eric here but but what are some of the 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 significant recommendations what do you think the general public would be most interested to know about what the ag says needs to happen with the aer with the energy regulator yeah maybe just quickly to set the stage for that one of the things we saw in the audit uh, very quickly is AR themselves had you know they'd done a robust risk analysis to look at you know the history and 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 what were sort of the key key issues that we were, were facing the the province and and the the regulator and and the three uh, most important ones that that came from that were the the timeliness uh, of the work that's being done um, unfunded uh, liabilities, uh, you know, particularly around legacy sites. So those are sites where there isn't a, a backstop like the orphan fund, um, as well as inadequate security collection. And so that was in a way sort of a starting point point for us. And in, in looking at that, we did see that there still are some uh, additional gaps that you know haven't been resolved by the new framework that the AR was uh, implementing to deal with some of those some of those key issues. Um, you know, in particular, the the legacy site uh, issue that uh, even though it's you know there's ongoing um, deliberation discussions about that, there isn't a, a decision or resolution on on how those will be dealt with uh, without that industry backstop. Uh, the issue of pipeline liabilities also um, uh, wasn't dealt with uh, through through that framework and and how that impacts you know liability and, and security uh, calculations, um, and then the security financial security mechanism itself. Um, it's uh, understood through the framework that that will be, you know, reviewed and changed, but th- there is no change to that yet. So that security um, mechanism has had a number of uh, issues, and I think well, once again, those who, who uh, understand the matter, it's it's been an issue for for a long time, and so that that's the system that will continue until there there's uh, there's an update there. So as far as the new framework, that that are some of the initial things that that we saw. Um, the other areas, one important one includes public accountability. So um, you, you'd mentioned trust earlier, and I think that question will probably come up again. But one of the ways in which that can be achieved is, is really um, robust, transparent information for the public to see if results are being achieved. So as there's uh, you know new programs like the inventory reduction program put into place, Albertans are going to want to see, is that reducing the inventory? Uh, is that resulting in timeliness? Um, and what we had found is that reporting isn't where it needs to be right now. Um, one area in particular is the uh, liability figure itself. Uh, there's a number, uh, a number of numbers that have been floating around over the last while. 
Um, you know, we acknowledge those in our report, you know, 60 billion for total active inactive, uh, approximately 10 to 13 billion um, inactive sites, and this is non-oil sands. Um, and it's, I think, important for the regulator to explain what those numbers mean and what the risk is behind that. Um, you do have a continuum of risk. You have financial oper or operators that have the financial wherewithal to uh, you know, deal with uh, the inactive sites. And on the other end of the continuum, you have uh, sites where there is no backstop and, and they just remain uh, inactive and potentially a, a real problem. So, so I think those are things that certainly um, uh, the, the AER could do. And, and maybe just quickly in some of the other uh, specific areas we, we looked at, um, one important relationship is with the Orphan Well Association and the AER's uh, you know, assessment of information from that. And, um, you know, we did see some improvements during the course of our audit. Um, in, in 2022, the AR began uh, evaluating the uh, industry levy uh, to um, propose to, to OWA to deal with um, orphan wells. And uh, in the past, they, we, we didn't see evidence that there was actually scrutiny of that uh, to the level that that's needed. And uh, so there was an increase of 70 to 130 million. And so I think um, there's, you know, improvements on the fly that were, were taking place as well. Um, and with financial security, um, you know, as I mentioned before, found that the calculations for that are a, a problem um, and uh, the main objectives to encourage, uh, you know, closure work to take place and to protect the public from financial risk, um, you know, those objectives uh, were under strain with the current security mechanism and, and that's uh, another area we made, uh, made recommendations. And then maybe just finally um, around regulatory compliance. So this would be more so the quality of the uh, work that's being done in the important closure areas, including suspension, uh, abandonment, remediation, and reclamation. Um, we found a number of uh, areas for, for improvement. Um, those you know, regulatory processes are taking place, but there, there are some, like I said, areas for improvement and gaps, some compliance activities either that uh, were no longer taking place, um, you know, reviews of uh, remedial action plans that weren't uh, monitoring timelines, those sorts of things that I think really would also help not just the quantity of the liability, but making sure the quality of the work done on those sites is uh, meets meets the, the the directives and standards that the regulator has. For people, we're talking to Eric Leonti, Assistant Auditor General, Province of Alberta. Uh, you know, people that are going to get into this report, it's a forty-six page report. It's available to the public; anybody can read it. Page thirty is one that you want to focus your attention on, Eric. You were just uh, addressing that the, the the Orphan Well Association, the, the Alberta Energy Regulator, the risks to the polluter pays principle that have increased in recent years. People will see that the government of Alberta has been making interest-free loans available. The most recent one was at $335 million in interest-free loans from the government of Alberta since 2017. Uh, the energy regulator says they're not involved in that, in monitoring that, and determining the amounts. Um, but of course, these are public funds that are going toward this. I mean, you pinpoint those liabilities as you, know, you say $60 billion. We've heard upwards of $300 billion. I mean, who, who really knows here? But it's it's not realistic, is it, um, to suggest that this is something that's going to be recouped from oil and gas companies? I mean, this is... Uh, and I know, Eric, you're in a delicate spot here because you're going to say, well, I can't take a position on this. The office of the AG is not here to provide opinion commentary. But ultimately, the, the risk here, the biggest risk to the public, aside from the environmental liabilities is that taxpayers, that citizens, will be left on the hook cleaning this up. Uh, through the course of conducting this investigation, did, did you see anything that would lead you to believe that there would be any other outcome than that? 
Well, maybe the, the best place for me to start is uh, the notion of the polluter pay principle. And I think an important thing to reinforce is ultimately, yes, the AER is responsible for ensuring that, um, you know, directives are being followed and cleanup is, is taking place uh, as it should. But industry is ultimately the one responsible to and accountable to, to doing the cleanup work. I mean, that that's, uh, you know, the requirement of, of getting a license uh, to, to, to produce uh, oil and gas in, in, in this province. One of the uh, things we point out in the report is, uh, you know, the polluter pay principle being being at risk, uh, or at least that the, the risk of the polluter pay principle being compromised has increased over the years. And, and, and that's from a few factors. I mean, one, just the, the volume of sites that are, you know, going into, um, you know, the sort of Orphan Well Association's purview, um, you know, the, the legacy sites that have to be deal, uh, dealt with and, and just the growing number of inactive sites from active operators. And so just those inherent characteristics increase, increase that, that risk. Um, you know, the, the loans that were made to the OWA that are, you know, would be repa repaid through the levies over time. Um, yeah, there's an opportunity cost to those public funds that could be used used uh, elsewhere. Um, yes, you know the intent obviously is to, that those are those are those are repaid, but that is that is public money. And so, um, you know, I think it's important that the systems and the changes that are taking place now um, mitigate and reduce the risk of the public having to to foot the bill for uh, for the cleanup work. Um, I, I do want to reinforce that you know the 60 billion figure and the the 30 billion, the 10 to 13 billion th those. Um, th those numbers, it is important that those are put in the context of what the risk is. So, uh, you know, the total cleanup liability for all active and inactive sites is a large number, uh, just because there is a very large um, industry and a lot of activity in the province. But it's going down that risk continuum where the greater efforts need to take place. So once, uh, um, you know, operators are in a state of financial distress, it's a little late to ask for security when they no longer have the means to provide it. So it's, you know, as an example, reviewing that security mechanism and deciding, well, maybe it's earlier in the life cycle, you know, other other approaches to make sure that that cleanup happens early and often. Uh, so th this, uh, you know, ideally the risk has topped out that the, 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 there's a peak and then we can see those improvements going forward. That's kind of a stupid comparison, but like when I rent a Verbo or an Airbnb with my buddies, I pay the damage deposit at the beginning, not after the house is trashed and we've lost all our money at the blackjack table, right? Like it, it, we go off the top and it strikes to me as like that's the way to do it and it's not the way that it's been done, correct? Well, there's there's trade-offs. I mean, the, the security mechanism, as I said, there's two key objectives to encourage the work to happen and to protect the financial risk. Um, you know, many jurisdictions, I think, wrestle with, well, you know, the notion of full security and, and, and what that means as far as, um, you know, the the, um, uh, the the funds used for that and, and you know, potentially taking away from uh, from other activities the operators have to do. So it's it's something that regulators have to analyze and, and make a reasonable um, decision upon to ensure that, for one, the cleanup work happens, the environment's protected, human health and safety is protected, uh, but that also there is an opportunity for, um, you know, an, an investment and, and work to be done in the province. And that balance is what has been sought, you know, uh, ever since important pieces of legislation around the environment and, and how to deal with this issue have been put into place. And it does go back to reporting back uh, on the results over time and, and whether that's actually happening or not and, and whether there needs to be abrupt course corrections to make sure that, once again, the, the public isn't put at undue risk. Uh, Eric, you know, anyone can go view this report. Obviously, that's 
kind of part of the process. Uh, that's obviously part of the transparency that we talked about off the top. That's so important to people uh, or, or should be anyway. Correct me on any of these fronts. OK, these are observations essentially pulled from the Auditor General's report released in May. Um, reclamation certificates that are being issued by the energy regulator are not consistently valid. Um, in, in my understanding, as a layperson, that means that they're kind of being issued contrary to law. Um, land that is potentially contaminated and has not been properly cleaned up or restored is being returned to landowners right now. Uh, landowner annual compensation, people that have uh, these uh, sites on their land is being inappropriately terminated, right? Um, the regulator is not carrying out its critical public safety assurance mandate. No system in place to ensure that the routine abandonment of wells uh, is actually happening and no method in place like you just talked about to measure if inactive or decommissioned wells are actually emitting gases like methane. Uh, is anything that I said there inaccurate? Um, no, I mean, I, those are certainly facts from, from the report. I mean, I would emphasize uh, as far as some of the regulatory compliance processes, I mean, there are, um, you know, mechanisms in place at the AER. There are certainly gaps and, you know, we did we did detailed work to, to, to dig into each of these areas. And, and yeah, there's some areas of concern that need to, to, to be resolved. Uh, but there are also compliance activities that are, are, are taking place. And, and I, I think ultimately has to be commensurate with the risk that, that, that exists and making sure that those happen. Um, maybe just quickly, specifically with uh, the, the reclam uh, uh, reclamation certificate process, um, you know, part of that stems, there's, uh, you know, in an effort for, for efficiency and automation, um, you know, routine uh, reclamation certificates uh, being approved through the system. Yeah, we, you know, we found areas where those, uh, you know, there's a risk and, and examples where, you know, some get, get approved that, you know, perhaps shouldn't have or was missing information before they should have been approved. And, and that all needs to be um, administratively dealt with before those are, are issued because, you know, in particular for, for landowners, if there's a reclamation certificate issued, you know, we want to have confidence that, that all the uh, supporting information and everything that needed to be done has been done. And, and maybe one other added point related to the, the list you provided is, I mean, some of AER's own work looking at post-reclamation certificate, um, you know, a relatively high percentage of sites where there's, you know, they've found problems with it. And, and so that that has, a, you know, the risk of, of eroding some confidence in, in, in that process. Yeah, so, major credibility um, problem. That, yeah. And it's good that they're, they're, they're reviewing that and looking at, at that. But the expectation is, is that, you know, and, and it fed into one of our recommendations that, you know, there's there's process improvements that that help with that that going forward. Um, so, um, yeah, it's it's a broad and, and complex problem. And there's a number of important regulatory systems in place to to manage it, and the, there's a number that do need need improvement. Yeah, uh, Eric, I, I want to thank you for this. I mean, essentially, it is a broad and complex problem, but it also boils down to something very simple, and that is that it it appears to be that Albertans are getting a raw deal from Alberta's biggest industry, and uh, that, in my assessment of this, has been operating in bad faith. And uh, I know that you're not going to go on the record and say that. So let me ask you this. Uh, what power does the AG, the Auditor General's office, have to compel uh, reform of the energy regulator? I mean, in, in plain language, does this come down to citizens? I mean, are we talking about placards and protests? Are we talking about writing letters to MLAs and ministers? Uh, because right now, I mean, it, it seems to me like there's really I mean, this represents a form of accountability to be sure, an AG report. But what role can the AG play in ensuring that this report actually has some teeth? 
Yeah, well, maybe a couple of things. So, um, I mean, our role in our mandate, we can't compel the organizations we audit uh, to, to make the changes. Um, that being said, I mean, we do make uh, recommendations and one uh, important function in our office is that we conduct follow-up work we, and we uh, request and, and should be receiving shortly, um, in this case, uh, an implementation plan on how they're going to deal with the recommendations we've made. And, and ultimately, we follow up our recommendations until they're, they're implemented. So that's an important function uh, as far as accountability. But uh, to your point of, uh, uh, you know, compelling or, or accountability, um, and I mentioned, I mean, we, we work for and, and serve the assembly and, as I said, by extension, all Albertans. So, so yes, I mean, we, we hope that uh, the, the readers, the users of our report, you know, play, play a role in um, helping that those, uh, encouraging, you know, AR to, to, to implement those, those recommendations. I, I will say the AR had accepted all the recommendations. We had full cooperation throughout the course of, of our audit. Um, and uh, so that, that's very important and something that we, we gauge uh, as well. So, um, yeah, it, it's, uh, uh, you know, uh, a variety of, uh, you know, parties play, play a role. And, um, you know, for, for us, we, we hope that uh, people take an active interest in, in, in the results and, and, and play a role in, in, in um, uh, encouraging those improvements. Eric Leonti is the Assistant Auditor General of Alberta. And uh, we appreciate your availability uh, to take these questions, Eric. Thanks. Thank you very much. Yeah, you bet. Uh, Real Talkers, you can check out the report yourself at oag.ab.ca. You just click on reports. It's easy to find. That's oag.ab.ca, and we'll have that link in the show notes. A bit of a gut punch, I know, uh, a reality check, but at least... Uh, you know, you, you narrow down your focus here on some of the real issues, and, and it means something. When something goes through the Auditor General, uh, that's, something, that's, that's not hearsay. That's not like, you know, John in Leduc County says this about his property. This is something that, that, that certainly can create, has the power to create some momentum and an impetus for change. We're going to stick on this story. Obviously, uh, this is a story that matters across the country, uh, and we'd love your feedback as well, either on or off the record. You know where to find us. You can check out the Connect link on our website at ryanjesperson.com. Wanted to take a second to recognize uh, Real Talk sponsors, and that includes our friends at Friesen Brothers. Now, this is, of course, a big weekend for a lot of you, the long weekend, and you're going to be celebrating Canada Day potentially with a barbecue. Uh, June is pork month at Friesen Brothers, and and that means there's a a whole lot of options for you, exclusively fresh Alberta pork that is expertly cut in-store by Friesen Brothers skilled butchers. Now to honor and appreciate Alberta pork and its dedicated producers, Friesen Brothers supports the, uh, the promotional activities uh, by Alberta pork by naming June Pork Month. You can check out more at friesen.com slash barbecue season. And if you are prepping to host a Canada Day celebration, you'll find party essentials, barbecue options, family dinner ideas at 16 different Friesen Brothers locations across the province. They've even got special Canada Day flower hanging baskets. They've got bouquets of BC-grown flowers. Absolutely beautiful. I pick one up every time I'm there. And more Canada Day special offers in the flyer. You can check out the weekly flyer on their website. That's Friesen.com. F-R-E-S-O-N. Edmontonians, did you know that Civic Service Union 52 members help to deliver core city services that you rely on? 
CSU 52 members are making sure that the city of Edmonton works. Their members are the people who arrange your accessible transportation. They answer your emergency calls. They reunite you with your lost pets. They keep your power on. They spark your imagination and much, much more. CSU 52 members are dedicated to ensuring high demand services are right here around the clock so that our city works for all of us. CSU 52 and Edmonton for everyone. I mentioned Complete Care Restoration earlier in the show, and boy, are we ever proud to partner with them. This studio wouldn't be here if it wasn't for the team at Complete Care Restoration. They do construction and renovation, but this time of year, their number one priority is helping Albertans get back on their feet after fire or flood. Uh, That's right. They know it's a gut punch. They know it is a oftentimes worst case scenario to be dealing with Well, Mother Nature, quite frankly, and that's why Complete Care Restoration treats every project as though it's their own home. We've seen them in action. So whether it is recovering from fire or flood or maybe a nasty surprise when you opened up some drywall for a renovation and found mold or uh, heck, even asbestos, don't try to handle that on your own. Visit CompleteCareRestoration.ca today. If you're going to be transforming your outdoor space, there is nobody in the business that does it better than Eden Landscaping. I've been telling you about our own family's journey. They're going to be ripping up our sod and our old bricks starting this weekend, and we're going to be showing you before and after photos as our outdoor space is brought to life. Now, we're a family that's on a budget. We're a family that tries to stretch dollars wherever we can, and it's, it's been amazing to work with Mike and his team as they have navigated balancing our dreams with our reality. And I'm really proud to see how they operate, and I couldn't be more excited to see them work. Now, we're not requiring any retaining walls or excavation, but they do that as well. In fact, they do it all. Outdoor kitchens, water features, intricate stonework. You want one of those 2,000-pound boulders on your front lawn? They can make that happen. There's no problem they've encountered, says Mike, in 20 years that they haven't been able to solve. You can get the conversation started with them today at landscapeedmonton.ca. And I also wanted to remind you that coming up on Friday on this show, Real Talk, we're going to be, well, presenting another edition of Trash Talk that's sponsored by our friends at Local Environmental Services. We've already got a couple locked and loaded to do with the Titan sub, Johnny. People have a lot to say about the Titan submersible. But maybe this talk about Orphan Wells gets you going. Maybe it's the pride controversy in Leduc or or somewhere else. Uh, Maybe it has nothing to do with anything that we've talked about on the show. And, well, that's... That's what you want to rant about. You can send your trash talk in to talk at ryanjesperson.com. Local Environmental Services is uh, providing everything from fencing and portable toilets, water hauling, landfill services, front load or the big roll-off bins for construction projects, to clients in Alberta and Saskatchewan offering better service, better prices, and of course, more support for local causes. That's what comes with doing business with local environmental services. Coming up on tomorrow's show, we want to let you know that we're going to be welcoming three of the directors of Alberta municipalities to our physical Real Talk Roundtable. Three mayors, councillors from Alberta communities are going to talk to us about the issues that matter most to them. 
What role has this provincial election played in the municipal-provincial relationship? And what are some of the issues flying under the radar that matter to thousands of people that call this province home? We'll go there tomorrow. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson, Executive Producer Josh Dunford, Technical Producer John Hicks, General Manager Katie Cook-Chivers, Account Coordinator Lawrence Durlego, Human Resources Lena Shepard, Website Design Mike Johnston, VoiceOver by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's Editorial Board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandi Morin, Ann Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Soto, and Nakota Sioux, home to the Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is a relay project. For more, check out ryanjasperson.com.